Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast, presented by Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. We are part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Andrew Allegretta. He is one of the two play-by-play voices for Vanderbilt. Andrew appears on our guest line that is sponsored by our good friends at Sutherland and Belk. They are a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call. That number 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. And with that, let's go straight to our interview with Andrew Allegretta. Andrew Allegretta, part of the Vanderbilt basketball and football and baseball announcing crew, joins us today as we talk Commodore sports. Andrew, thanks for joining us. Busy time of the year because now we have an overlap between basketball and football. Yeah, as the saying goes, uh, happy crossover season to all that celebrates. And it is officially crossover season. Uh, We are in the thick of it for sure this week. Yeah, the fun comes in March when you get that little crossover between baseball, basketball, and spring practice. Those are those are good days. Yeah, I've had a hard time analyzing exactly which one I think is more challenging, whether it's the November one or whether it's the March one. And I don't have a good answer. Uh, they both present their own challenges. I feel like I'm about to go into coach speak about crossover season, which is <laughs> right. uh, deeply uninteresting to anybody. But we're happy to we're be, we're happy to have basketball back for sure. I think it depends because if it's if it's my job, it's definitely tougher because I've I've had to literally cover and write about all three in the same day. If it's your job, you're just going to to watch and and file things away in your head, and so. Uh, you know, the actual production of content the same day may be a little different. But uh, anyway, at least from at least from my neck of the woods, that's how it works. If uh, I suppose if there's an answer, it depends on schedules from year to year. Um, if you've got a week like this, which candidly is very busy. Um, I try to not get too into the weeds because I, I usually think people don't really care it's like we have a really cool job, so why get into the weeds about the stuff that's challenging? Um, but you've got a week in which there's Tuesday women's basketball, Wednesday men's basketball, Thursday's quote-unquote an off day. Uh, but I just came from talking with Clark Lee because that's our scheduled weekly conversation for football. There's women's basketball Friday. There's football Saturday. There's uh, men's basketball Sunday. And if you flip the calendar – uh, we've got the radio show on Monday, but in addition, I've got a video shoot scheduled with Coach Corbin. Uh, so it, it it's totally dependent on the schedules. Well, let's talk about what we know. That's that the basketball team is 1-0 after beating Alabama State last night. It was a 19-point victory. Could have been more than that probably if they didn't clear the bench uh, for basically the last half of the last half. Uh, but what were your thoughts on what you saw at Memorial on Wednesday night? Well, um, first off, it was my first look at Scotty Pippen Jr. Um, and I think what certainly stood out to me, and I'm sure it's no surprise to anybody, is how quickly he can impact a game and how he can impact a game in multiple different ways. 
I certainly think it's fair to say that his jump shot was rusty to start the game. A couple of misses for him seemed, I would guess, out of character. Um, But while that was going on, he had four steals, which ends up being a career high for Scotty. And then you blink in the second half and he finishes the ball game with 15 points and goes five for 10 from the floor uh, and four for five from the free throw line. And it seems like he had a perfectly quality game. Um, So his ability to impact a game kind of regardless of the moment certainly stood out to me. Uh, The three point shooting of Studi was attention grabbing. Um, I think maybe that's the theme and all of this will develop throughout the course of the preseason and then into non-conference and then into conference play. Uh, But as I understand it, as always, uh, sort of the engine was always Scotty offensively and it kind of was only Scotty offensively at times. Um, And what they displayed last night is they've got the potential for other people to ignite the offense when Scotty starts off a little slow because it's not fair to just put it all on Scotty's shoulders every single night, which I'm sure he's comfortable doing because he's got that level of confidence in his skill set. But the fact that Studi comes out and knocks down a handful of threes, which I thought started the offense, and then uh, Wright has a really strong game, including a very impactful dunk. I thought that was really interesting. And again, we're doing all of this without um, Robbins and without Chapman, who certainly you would expect to be impactful players once they get healthy uh, for this Vanderbilt men's basketball team. So uh, I guess if if you're talking about two things for me, one, it's just how quickly Scottie Pippen can impact a ball game in many different ways. And the fact that maybe just maybe there's uh, a versatility in the offense that, again, as I understand it, maybe wasn't quite as present in previous seasons. Yeah, I think that Jerry Stackhouse has done a good job of getting an offensive system that works for them. I I don't think that they have had the best shooting teams by a long shot that I have covered at Vanderbilt. In fact, I would put this bunch in the lower half of that. But what they do is they get open shots, they shoot a lot of threes, and you've seen some of his teams, which haven't been that talented the last few years have some nights where they'll hit 13 or 14 threes and they can pull an upset. And it just seemed to me, not that this is any revelation here, but it looks like it'll be more the same. And I think what you said about Studi is accurate. And I think it's key because finding that other guy who can knock down threes in volume is going to be critical to their success, especially with the injuries. And maybe we can get to those in a bit, but I did think that that was one thing that perhaps might have some carryover when the games get tougher was the way that he played last night. Yeah, so I would say just covering different basketball teams over the years, um, sometimes if there is one it guy uh, and kind of only one it guy, um, everyone can look to said it guy. And when he's not on, nobody necessarily knows what to do. Uh, So having that secondary and then third and then fourth option, it's the SEC. Like you need multiple options to be effective over the long haul of a basketball season. Again, recognize that this is my first season covering SEC basketball, but having seen it in the ACC and elsewhere, uh, you need multiple options to carry yourself uh, through a schedule like this and be really successful. Um, You brought up the entries. I think what is kind of curious to me, and I don't have any um, direct conversations with Stackhouse or the coaching staff about this, and perhaps um, Kevin Inker might have um, 
more detailed thoughts, but it is interesting to me to be without Robbins and to be without Chapman to start. Um, only in the sense that when they come back, you know there is going to be a small grace period where they figure things out as a unit with those two guys, right? It's like they're they're new. So it's not dropping veterans, albeit they're veterans in college basketball, but not veterans here. Uh, it's You're dropping two new people into the lineup. So they're going to take some time um, to figure everything out and their rotations with those two guys once they come back. Um, so I think that will be an interesting grace period whenever that happens. Um, and, and hopefully it doesn't, um, uh, truncate the development too, too much of this team, because obviously you see a lot of pieces there. And, and I guess what I'm getting at is hopefully once those guys are healthy, um, their ability to mesh comes together as quickly as possible. Yeah. I think you make a good point. That could be one of those, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger things. I think that the could kill you part the hard thing is you got some teams coming up. Texas State's not a bad team. Uh, you know, not a top 100 team maybe, but a team that could pop up and win the Sun Belt. I think VCU is next week. You got some games in Hawaii down the road against some potential NCAA tournament teams. I so think I Loyola think, yeah. Chicago is the highest Ken Palm rated team coming into the season that they play. Yeah, uh, I, I knew I was forgetting a, somebody. Yeah, that, yeah that's Pittsburgh's who it was. a gigantic question mark. I think they lost to start off the season to someone, and I can't quite remember who. Um, yeah, I think Loyola Chicago is considered the most challenging team, but it's not it's not a bunch of rollovers for sure on this schedule. Like They will be challenged throughout the course of non-conference. Yeah, and I, I think where I was going to go with that was – Okay, I think, it, well, obviously you know who your alpha dog is, right? And I think Robbins would be the second best player on the team and, and maybe Chapman third. That's hard to say. But you've got some guys who have track records at big-time basketball programs uh, who have who've done some things and shown that they have qualities that can fit in with this team in ways that they desperately need. In fact, I would say – if you could name two things that this team really needed, it's a post-defender, post, post defender, not really a post-defender, but a rim enforcer, I guess is a good way to put it. And Liam Robbins is certainly that. The other thing that they have lacked is a guy who can really get after you on defense from the guard spot. And Chapman, if he's anything, is supposed to be that. So let's say that you get those guys back for conference play. Uh, and they're healthy, which is always a question. You always worry about an injury coming back that's lingered for a while. But just for argument's sake, you do that. Now what you've done is you've put guys like Jordan Wright and Miles Studi in spots where they have to step up and be the second and third guys. Well, they probably fit better as fourth and fifth guys, which is probably what they are if they get healthy. So that's the the two scenarios I see, Andrew, are – they might lose some games that they're not supposed to lose with those two guys gone. But let's say that they don't, they, they win some close ones in their absence and they get those guys back. Then I think you have to feel much better about things heading into conference play. This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast is made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville and just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville. 
but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. And what people like about the experience is the ambiance. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. I went in and looked at it myself. That's exactly what it is. It is a relaxing, friendly environment. So whether your dental needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody. Call him at 615-270-2322. His office is located at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown Nashville, not far from the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player, a huge booster of Commodore Athletics. His support as the title sponsor for Season 7 is the reason we are able to do this podcast. Go see Dr. Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of the Vandy Sports Podcast and tell him you heard about it here. I think that's a relatively fair assessment. To me, it sounds like you're talking about someone that's been hitting 6th, 7th, or 8th in a batting order. And then all of a sudden, because of injuries, they get forced to the 4th, 5th, or 6th spot. And all of a sudden, that's a challenge for them because uh, the breaking balls snap a little bit shorter, uh, sharper at the 4th spot than they do at the 8th spot. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I, I think that's a perfectly fair uh, analysis. Um, and, and you would hope that, and from all accounts internally, there has been individual growth, right? Just expecting Studi or Wright or whoever to be what they had been previously is maybe not giving those guys enough credit for the individual growth that they've made. I've heard a ton about what Wright's been able to do in the offseason. So, you know, maybe they are ready for batting third, fourth, or fifth in the order, and maybe they can handle it. And all of a sudden, you do add a Robbins and a Chapman back to the lineup. And it's it's not sliding guys that are fit in the seven or eight spot back down to seven or eight. It's that you've got a bunch of guys that can hit three, four, and five. And I'm making a baseball metaphor because, as always, I'm sitting at Hawkins Field. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, the one I've always used is, like, if you might have a guy who's fine as your three or four starter, but if he's got to be your one, you're kind of in trouble. Uh, And and so we can pick pick lineup or pitching or whatever, but I think uh, either way is fair. By, By the way, you sent me on a sidebar. I had not checked the pit score. Uh, Pitt opened at season Tuesday night, got beat by 15 by the Citadel. I'd not realized that. Uh, the fighting Bulldogs. Uh, nobody, yeah. no, nobody just, nobody is going to just, they're not going to lay down for anybody. Those Bulldogs are tough there. That's a, that's one of those like foe, foe is not the right word. Cause that totally is not uh, respectful to the work that they do. It's one of those weird uh, situations where you go in, you get the military experience, but you don't have the military obligation coming out. Like the Citadel and VMI are the same, which I've always found to be a very intriguing college experience. Um, not, not minimizing it, not, uh, thumbing my nose at it. It's just a very interesting mentality to say, I'm going to go to VMI where I will get treated in a military sense, but then not 100% go to the military on the backside of college. Uh, and, and I would suspect that many of them do end up going to the military on the backside of college. Uh, it's just, it's an interesting thing to sign up for. And we're off on a tangent, but that's the reason when, uh, Duger Bauckham was the head coach, I think at both of those places, um, on men's college basketball, he would fly up and down the floor and shoot threes and layups. And they would do it in about five to 10 seconds. His philosophy was, uh, these guys have hard schedules. They need to have some fun. And one once upon a time, VMI beat Kentucky with that strategy. So there you go. There's your secondary sidebar, Chris. Well, and here's another one, the Citadel. Not that we're going to spend too much time <laughs> on the Citadel. I was thinking, like, I think that's one of those teams that plays at a blazing fast pace, and it is. So 
Uh, yes. I just checked on that fourth in the country in Kim Palm Tempo. So I, I don't know that maybe you can say that was a a bad matchup for Pitt. I think the <laughs> the bigger concern is they're just not supposed to be very good, and I think they're without their their best player due to an assault charge. So now how how that resolves between now and what is it two weeks then when when Vanderbilt goes up there? Uh, they play Pittsburgh on November twenty fourth. Yeah, so okay. Yes, two weeks. So we're close. And let's see, between now and then, and we'll get back into last night because there's some Folks things I didn't want to expect hit at. a deep dive on the Citadel in Pittsburgh <laughs> when they pulled this up, huh? I have to admit, I try to be prepared for the podcast, but that one uh, slipped by me. But uh, <laughs> so let's see. Okay, they've got here's what's coming up Texas State, which is 149 in Ken Palm, VCU, which is 97. But you know, VCU is a little bit of a brand name and uh, could be better than that. Winthrop, which I think lost two games last year, coming up on the 20th. That is goodness, a week from week from Saturday. Um, and then they go to Pitt. So really, that game three, tips, by the way, that game tips exactly at the same time as the Ole Miss football game. Oh, um, good. So grief. just so uh, for Fanny fans, prep yourself for uh, multiple screens, multiple apps, multiple listening experiences uh, on the 20th. How? <laughs> but wait, wait a minute. And that's that's in Nashville. OK, I guess I guess the game, the Ole Miss game is in Oxford. Yes, um, it is. Yeah. So that that okay that that sort of explains it, but yeah that'll that'll be a fun day. Um, back to last night, we've we've gotten 15 minutes in, and the name that hasn't come up in and we were speaking of supporting players needing to step up. Jermaine, man, man, that was a heck of a box score night. He goes what 18 minutes, scores 15, and pulls I think 10 boards. Um, I, I think we knew he would contribute, and again, I don't want to make too much because it's Alabama State, but all you can play is what's in front of you, and I thought he did a fine job on Wednesday. I'd agree. He certainly played with plenty of heart and hustle and all of those sort of uh, athletic intangibles. Um, I would probably underscore what you just said, and I would do it for anybody in this box score, positive or negative, that's overinflating a narrative based on the first game of the season is misguided. Um, But it's a reworked lineup, whether it's guys like Robbins and Chapman that we talked about that have transferred from um, typically basketball powerhouse universities. Um, Minnesota might be a stretch, I suppose, uh, but Dayton's always been really good, and Chapman was on the team with Obi Toppin. Uh, that certainly could have been a number one overall seed uh, if COVID didn't shut down the NCAA tournament. Um, man's coming from Gardner-Webb, so he's coming from the opposite, um, and, and he certainly plays like someone that's trying to prove – that he belongs taking this sort of step to the SEC. Uh, his energy level was great. Seven for nine. One thing we haven't mentioned, Chris, and, and you would hope that this continues throughout the course of the season. Uh, seven for nine from the free throw line as a team. Vandy shot 76%. That holds. Like if you go 70 to 75% from the free throw line throughout the course of the season, I think Stackhouse probably takes that, right? So uh, that was a that was a really nice, quiet statistic that translates regardless of the opponent. Uh, free throws are team independent. Uh, it's like FIP in, do you know what FIP is in, in, oh, in baseball? Oh, absolutely I do. Yeah. 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 Fielding independent pitching. Um, so free throws are like FIP. Uh, they have nothing to do with the opponent and that's a really good sign for Vandy, at least in one of those, uh, statistical categories. And Maine was part of that. Well, and it's not just the percentage. They got there a lot, which they tend to do. Uh, Pippen had 10 of them, which will be, I mean, he's just going to have a string of, 
double digit <laughs> foul shot games. No, I'm sorry. I'm looking at I'm looking at field goals. He had ten field goals. He only got to the line five times. So actually, yeah, I think that's even five. better. Yeah, they they got to the line a lot as a team without. Scotty, I mean, and Scotty will have some nights where he gets to the line 14 or 15 times. And so they were able to do it as a team without him having to be the guy that gets there all the time. Yeah, I think that's good. Um, I, I don't, you know, I'm coming from a place uh, at Tulane where they basically ran an offensive strategy that was uh, give the athletic guard the basketball, let him run downhill. Maybe he gets a layup or maybe he gets fouled. Um, and that's overly simplistic and reductive of the offense. Uh, but that kind of was their thought process. Like we're, we're going to try to ISO our guy up. He's either going to get a look or he's going to get fouled. I don't know exactly how, uh, similar Vandy's offense is having only watched it for one game. Um, but if, if you're going to generate a strategy, whether it's as, as simple as drive to the bucket or, um, trying to get contact in other ways, uh, if that's going to be your strategy, you better make your free throws. And they did last night. I'm looking at Scottie Pippen's Ken Palm profile from last year. He shot 167 free throws, but was 87th in free throw rate. I, I don't, I cannot conceive how there were 86 guys who got to the line uh, at a higher rate than than he did. But apparently there were. But um, that that's an interesting sidebar. I was looking to see where he would have gone. Actually, he was sixth in the country at fouls drawn. Um, so anyway, there's that. But I mean, theme is here. Scottie Pippen's going to get to the line a lot this year, and, and maybe there's some teammates who can join him. And and the guy really who who led them in free throw attempts last night was Man, who was seven of of nine from the charity stripe. And and frankly, when you are banging in the paint uh, and, and not afraid to shy away from contact, which he's not, you got a chance to pick up some of those. Um. Here, here's one guy that I'll lob to you, Chris, that I really liked. Um, and, and again, doing a deep dive on the Alabama State game is is somewhat I'm, – I'm always cautious with it. But I liked Melora Brown. I recognize he didn't score two points, but he had three rebounds. He had five assists uh, on Wright's huge dunk. He basically set a screen. He backed his man deep underneath the basket to open up some space. Um for right to to slam it through. He wasn't obviously a huge offensive factor, but you know, he played good defense. I think he forced somebody out of bounds at one point and created a turnover. His passes were great from a post player. Like if you're not going to have Robbins for whatever the window is, um is Melora Brown going to give you I, I don't know his statistic last season, uh, but is he going to give you 15 points or something like that? I guess not. But you've got to be able to impact a basketball game in multiple ways. Uh, and he did he did a lot of intangibles last night. So I'm really curious to see if that continues on on Sunday. Yeah, he's not going to be a guy that averages even seven or eight points a game. But I didn't really realize this until I looked it up before the season. What he will do is is not screw it up for you from a stat standpoint. I think he shot 70% from the field. No, he doesn't take a lot of shots. And I'll He went one say, for one last he night. He was one it, for one like, last but, night. But don't, yeah. don't you love that from a coaching perspective, though? Isn't well, that sort of what you talk about all of the time? And and I, I don't want to overly you know put words into Melora Brown's mouth or anything like that, but like coaches talk about doing your job and understanding yeah. your role and impacting a team positively. Well, shoot. How about Melora Brown? Three rebounds, five assists, plays great defense, has smart court awareness. That's someone that impacts the game in a positive way. So, like, you can get obsessed over shots and points and all that kind of stuff, but 
darn, you need guys like Melora Brown. And I, I liked his game last night, especially well, considering you know that you need somebody like that without Robbins for a little bit. Yeah, and what I was going to say is he only ended one possession in a negative fashion in that he was, unless he got an offensive foul, which I don't remember that. He only picked up one. Here you go, so. Crit. Here, here's the Well, he had, he had five assists and one turnover, so there you go. He finished second on the team in plus minus. He was yeah. plus 22 last night. Yep. Uh, second to Lawrence, Tyron Lawrence, Lawrence, who I would not have guessed. Neither would I, but that's sort of, I think, the byproduct of playing early. <laughs> yeah. So so what you have is you got you got your alpha dog. You got two guys who stepped up in secondary scoring roles. You got man doing his thing. And, and it's, again, it, it's Alabama State. I'm not making any conclusions, but we, we got what we got was a glimpse at, at some of what some of these guys can do. And and I think if you can if you can hold some of those gains and get the other guys back, uh, th- then it gets a little bit more interesting in January. I'm I'm all right there with you. Uh, um, you know, you'll you'll use this as a data point, and then you'll take Sunday as a data point, and then a couple of weeks down the road, you'll you'll string them all together, average them out, and sort of start to put together uh, the perspective on the season. So we'll see. The other thing that I always look for in openers is how do the freshmen look? Um, I don't think any of those guys are really ready to step up and be big players for them right now. But what I did take away, although Peyton Daniels, I, I would like to see how that plays out. But he and Shane Dazoni have some athleticism that they could use. I think Dazoni's, I don't know if raw is the right word right now. Uh, he's smooth with the ball. hes I'm going to guess he's their most athletic guy. But sometimes... Freshmen in, in November and freshmen in mid-February are two different things as they get used to the speed of the game and all that comes with it. I'm going to be very interested to see where those two guys' seasons take them. Yeah, for sure. Peyton Daniels, two with eight points, two for four from three-point range. I mean, it's what's the – as always, going right back to the baseball metaphor, uh, your defense and – your defense gets you on the field with Coach Corbin. Your hitting keeps you on the field with Coach Corbin. It's like if you can shoot the basketball, um, you're you're gonna find minutes. Like if you can knock down shots, you'll find minutes. So we'll see if that continues for Daniels. Anything else on hoops before we hit football for a moment? Uh, not really. I would throw a congratulations uh, to Shay Ralph picking up her first career victory both here at Vanderbilt and as a head coach ever. Um, I, I'll keep underscoring it to make sure people understand. Uh, and, and I suspect they do, but just again, to, to bold it, um, she was as in demand as any assistant coach over the better part of a decade in women's college basketball. And she decided to launch her head coaching career here. Uh, I think that speaks volumes. Um, how can it not, how can it not speak volumes about at least what she sees as potential at Vanderbilt, uh, so congratulations to her uh, picking up her very first career victory. They took down uh, Gardner-Webb back on Tuesday, and they've got Little Rock on Friday evening. I will have the call on the SEC Network Plus. So, All right, let's talk football. Um, I will make a prediction for Saturday's game. We won't see 100 points or whatever they scored in, in Lexington last week between no. Tennessee and, and uh, Kentucky when they tee it up here on Saturday in Nashville. Uh, I would agree with that. Um, It's going to be really interesting to me. Um, Kentucky is a very good football team. They're in a weird place. They, they are, they've lost three consecutive games. 
They've played three good teams, Georgia, Mississippi State, and Tennessee. Three teams that can score and three teams that did score against them. And certainly Vanderbilt's offense doesn't match the octane of either three of those. I recognize that. Uh, but figuring out where Kentucky is as they come into this ballgame will be really interesting. Look, I, I think there's there's a lot of stats that you could dig into. But if there's one that um, really pops to me throughout the week of prep um, between Stetson Bennett, Will Rogers and Hendon Hooker. Kentucky is giving up an 82% completion percentage in their past three games. That, even with the style of offenses that Tennessee, Mississippi State, and Georgia play, that is remarkable. It's like eight passing touchdowns, no interceptions. They have been without a couple of key pieces defensively, uh, including a defensive lineman that goes about 380, uh, who might come back in this game against Vanderbilt. We'll see. Um, But... I'm just curious with a Kentucky defense that historically has been great. Do they trip up a little bit? Do they give Vanderbilt a couple of big plays? Um, can Vanderbilt's secondary continue its string of interceptions? Can you, as Clark has always talked about throughout the course of the preseason, and it sort of was one of those major themes in non-conference play about, you know, um, trying to get the game to the fourth quarter, you know, uh, unleash your preparation on your opponent and you make it a game into the fourth quarter and you see where it goes. Um, I, I don't I don't know. Like I recognize and I sit here and I understand that Kentucky is a very, very good football team. Um, but where they are in the moment at least presents some intrigue to me. And with it being senior day, the final home game for Vandy, you know, we'll see exactly what the status is of Ken Seals versus Mike Wright coming into this ball game. Of course, Ken is back practicing throughout the course of the week. Um, fingers crossed on Rocco Griffin. Like, can you find a couple of explosive plays? Can you find a couple of turnovers and can you kick this game into the second half and see where it goes? Yeah. The keys for, for Vanderbilt, I think, and I'll, I'll start with when Kentucky's got the ball, Will Levis throws a pretty decent deep ball and he's got a couple of guys, uh, one Dale Robinson being the main guy that you got to watch downfield. He's had a really nice season. Uh, and their offensive line, like their right tackle, uh, Darren Kennard, is t- tremendous. He's going to play in the league. But the thing is with them, uh, and they will smash you in the run game if you let them, but the thing with Kentucky, I don't know where they are this week, but at one point they were dead last in the country in turnover margin. Levis is prone to throwing some picks, and Chris Rodriguez, who's a really nice tailback, has also been known to cough it up. I mean, he's had fumble issues throughout his career. So if you're looking for the path to success when Kentucky's got the ball, and you mentioned Vanderbilt and the interception streak, uh, that that's something that they've done pretty well is being able to get some turnovers. That's a place where if you're going to envision a scenario where Vanderbilt's in the game late into the second half, I think that's the script when Kentucky has the ball. Kentucky is 129, Chris, out of 130 in turnover margin. They're minus 12 this season. Arizona is minus 14. And my, <coughs> excuse me, uh, my old squad, uh, Tulane is at 127, tied with Southern Miss, both at minus 10 throughout the course of the season. Um, it, it, it undoubtedly was the most perplexing statistic about Kentucky uh, because everything that I know about football, which is small, uh, but I've always been told that Games come down to turnovers and big plays and to be one of the worst teams in the country and turnovers and be six and zero was really confusing. 
Um, so there is a propensity there. Um, so to your point, I, I, I don't know who it is that makes the play. Um, certainly I, I think it's gotta be a heavy dose of Chris Rodriguez. You would think from Kentucky, um, just because of what, uh, Beatty did for Missouri. It's back-to-back games against the top two running backs in the conference. Beatty had a fantastic performance. Why wouldn't Kentucky double down on forcing Vandy to stop the run? That means, guys, the, the point of attack with the defensive line has to hold up, and then guys like Anthony Orgy and Ethan Barr have to make their tackles in space. And with that, can they knock a football loose? Can Orgy knock it loose and someone scoops it up? Can Ethan Barr knock it loose? Can someone scoop it up? Um, and then when you're presented with the opportunity, can a Mahoney, Worship, whoever, um, Jerkins come up with an interception or two? It, look, everything is there where we recognize that the obvious favorite in the football game is Kentucky. But you go through the stats, you go through the games, you you kind of plot it out too with the way that Kentucky plays and says, it, it's, you know, I don't feel the same way against Georgia as I do against Kentucky with all due respect like I there's a window here for Vanderbilt to seize it and take advantage they're gonna have to play a great football game um but if you if you told if you asked me and and hopefully this isn't overstepping if you asked me of the three remaining games which is the most favorable matchup for Vandy it is certainly this one compared to Tennessee and Ole Miss so I'd love for them to come out here and make the most of this opportunity this weekend yeah, I, I don't know that it's, you know, none of these matchups coming up are, are tremendous matchups because they're all good teams, but I would agree with you because of the turnovers. And again, we've covered that angle. For me, yeah. Chris, just it's the sure. fact that, that Tennessee and Old Miss are such offensive juggernauts. Like Kentucky can yeah. certainly score. Uh, I'm not knocking their offense. They've got three really good pieces. But Vanderbilt's offense currently is not conditioned and set up in a fashion in which if Old Miss or Tennessee score – 21, 28 points in the first quarter that that Vandy's going to make a comeback. And we certainly understand with Lane Kiffin and Josh Heupel that because they've done it to other teams, Tennessee did it to Missouri. Old Miss has done it to other teams. They are positioned to put points on the board quickly in a ball game, and that just leaves Vandy in a bind with the way their offense is currently. Um, so just from a from a game flow standpoint, this is the one that I would love, especially on senior day, final home game, all of that stuff. I, I would love I would love to see the best game of the season for the Doors. Well, and the way Tennessee beat Kentucky was big plays and lots of them. So that's your key if you're Vanderbilt. And a non-call on yeah. a face mask. Oh yeah, that that too. Although that one sort of resolved. They got a they got a first down on a fourth, a fourth and twenty four. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it ended up. Yeah, that was that was one of those you watch and you're far, like far be it for uh, me by the way to critique somebody else's play calling like it's I'm always squeamish but like I sat there and I, I watched that and I would love a genuine explanation in in the final stretch there for Kentucky Tennessee was just blitzing the house yeah it was just <laughs> we're gonna get after we're gonna get after Levis and and every play that Kentucky called was like a five or seven foot or five or seven step drop like it they were all plays that took time to develop like I was I was like well I don't know anything about football and I'm sitting there going like, well, they're just going to blitz. Like, can we like maybe a, like a wide receiver screen or a slant or something like there's got to be something that gets the football out quickly for Levis. And it never happened. Like I, I would be fascinated to know if they, if they, if there's anything in that stretch from where Kentucky's going like, eh, I wish we did a little something different or, or just like, Hey, block the blitzes better. That might be part of it too. 
Yeah, no, you make you make a really good point there, um, and and I think t- to flip that one over, I think my concern if you're Vanderbilt is just protecting whoever your quarterback is because Josh Pascal's one of the best linemen in the league, if not in the country. Yes. You got DeAndre Square and JJ Weaver can get after the passer. I think that's the concern is you can't let those guys get home before you get it off, and that's been an issue. Uh, for sure. Uh, and and just for the folks that are listening, Pascal is number four. So watch out for number four uh, for Kentucky. Um, yeah, certainly wouldn't be surprised if if the approach from Kentucky, Mark Stoops and his his group is is to pressure Vandy. Um, it, it you know it depends on who the quarterback is. They're they're so different that pressuring means different things. It's like you know Mike can escape the pressure a little bit, but it certainly drives down his accuracy and all that kind of stuff when he's moving all over the place. And and with Ken, if you pressure him, you can get to him. He's less likely to escape just based on pure athletic skill set. Nothing else, nothing negative, whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I would be, I would be surprised if that's not part of the strategy. And you know, when Ken was the quarterback, they were, they had started doing a nice job finding those, those quick slants to help get the football out more quickly, which is when Will Shepard and Devin body and those guys were, were really kind of, you know, hitting their stride and Will Shepard was top 10 in the conference and receptions per game and all that kind of stuff. So again, I don't, I've got honestly no earthly idea who the quarterback's going to be. Again, we know that Ken has practiced. If we saw both of them in some capacity, wouldn't be shocking. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll see. I'm a, no, no doubt, no doubt that a, a blitz package will be part of it for Kentucky's defense. Andrew, any parting thoughts before we end the show today? Uh, not really. Um, I always plug some of the stuff that we're putting together. Um, I'm going to put this out here shortly too. Norman Jordan did a nice conversation with Watson Brown. So, um, you know, like Norman talked with Whit Taylor not too, too long ago. So I've enjoyed kind of turning the microphone over to, to Norm and saying, Hey, go talk to some of your former players and coaches and kind of give us the inside scoop. So that's, that's kind of something cool that fans can listen to. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to senior day too. Like I, it's been a, it's been a tough season and, you know, step number one in changing cultures is always really hard. Uh, but all of the guys getting honored of which there's like 30 of them at senior day, um, I, I think deserve a, a, a round of applause and some appreciation for their willingness to kind of be the first guys through the wall, um, for this, this new version of Vanderbilt football. Andrew, thanks for joining us. We'll catch you again in two weeks. Thanks, Chris.